Got a favorite Kate Bush song that you want to leave a couple of thoughts on? Well, you can call our hotline at 1-757-349-6369. That's 1-757-349-6369. And your thoughts could be played on a future episode. Hope to hear from you. Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. If you would like to support the show, then you can visit patreon.com slash katebushpodcast to see what wonderful rewards we're offering for your support of the show. Thank you. And now, on with the show. Well, love and anger of all the songs on the album is really the one I know the least about. I don't really know what it's about. It's had so many different faces and was one of the first songs to be written, but one of the last to be finished. And um, I think all the songs on this album are about relationships. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about track two from the Central World album. We've talked about the lead single, and now we're going to talk about another song that was a single from this album, and that is track number two, Love and Anger. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. All right. So we are now on to track two. We're going to be talking about Love and Anger this week. Woo! I'm excited to talk about this song. We've got two other fans who are going to talk about it on the show. We'll get to hear from Diego Ortega, who has been on in the past. And our other fan is someone who hasn't been on the show before, James Benedetto, And he's going to be the first one that we hear from. Let's hear what James has to say about Love and Anger. And we're so happy to have you on the show because you're a first-timer on the show. Well, happy to be here. I I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Now, we met. I remember putting down your name for... We met in person. We've actually met in person. And I put down your name for Love and Anger and a couple of the other songs from The Central World and The Red Shoes. And we met at Awesome Con, right? That's right. Okay, that's what it was. And in uh, AwesomeCon, for those of you guys who don't know, AwesomeCon is a large fan convention. It's like, what? What is it like? How many people do you think show up to this thing? It's freaking huge. I thought it was 50,000. I thought I read somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's in the Washington Convention Center. Freaking huge. It was definitely like the biggest con I'd ever been to. And you happened to pass by our table where we were yeah. selling our books. And I read one of your books. Yay. It was really good, actually. So there you go. So how did you become a Kate Bush fan? What's your history with her music? I always okay. ask people this because I always like no one. Like, how long have you been a fan? All that other fun stuff. Tell us. It goes back to high school, um, running up that hill on WLIR, Long Island Radio, which I'm not from Long Island, but I'm from New York City. So 
that was the alternative new wave anything british import station in new york and they actually played a they were the station that was the first in the country to play a lot of stuff. I believe they were the first ones to play U2 in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that's where I first heard. So running up that hill. And then Counts of Love, I think, was next. And then not for a while. And then in college, The Sensual World. And I, be, I believe, I, I, it's a long time ago. But I believe I bought it from the Columbia House Tape and CD Club. I remember those. I remember the ads. Like, you know, get 50 CDs, get 50 cassettes for $1. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> I remember those. And then, from, and then from there, from there, then The Red Shoes, which I love. Those are my two favorite albums, I think. The Central World and The Red Shoes. <laughs> um, so that, I guess that was... That's how I became a Kate fan. So there you go. So what is it about the Central World? Just kind of curiosity. Like, what? So what about the Central World makes it one of your favorite Kate Bush albums? Well, I mean, I love every song on it. I don't know. It's more mature, maybe in a way. I don't know. It's, I don't know if that's a fair description or not. But that might be something I would say. Her earlier stuff is great, but I think she's still figuring out who she is. And I think by this point she knows i mean such variety of the songs i mean she's all over the map on what she's doing there but it's it's just there's nothing i don't like on that album and how about the red shoes because i know the the red shoes you also said was i love that one too i love and you know i I love that song well the the red shoes itself because that's one of my favorite movies Mm -hmm. and I mean, it comes back. It goes back to the fairy tale, obviously. But I would imagine she's seen that movie a few times. Oh, probably. And she she loves her movies. Just everything about it. I think it just that was at the time when I was really expanding my musical tastes too. When I was in college, and I worked at our college radio station, WRUW ninety one point one FM, Cleveland, five to seven a.m. Friday mornings. So, I still have my radio license, actually. It's still good, supposedly. I mean, who knows? But so, but I expanded a lot, you know, and I learned a lot more during that time. And I think she was a big part of that. And and then since then, I've got, you know, I've heard almost everything else of hers and expanded out from there. Well, it's funny. It's interesting that um, you find the central world to be very mature because that's how definitely how I feel when I listen to this album. And for me, it took a little while to like it. But now that I'm actually kind of at the point in my life where Kate was when she was producing these songs. So I understand the sentiments, and especially the sentiments in Love and Anger, a lot more now that I've had a little bit more life experience to be able to understand the very complex feelings going on. I think that's 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 fair, and I think I get it more now than back when I was in college. Although, I mean, I kind of I was looking over, <clears throat> I was looking at one of her interviews about this song, and I thought it was interesting, and I'm, I'm sure you, you get into this, that she kind of almost didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I took it as, you know, a relationship between between a man and a woman, but you know, uh, lovers who were barely holding it together. And I don't think that's what. Well, I don't think that's what she necessarily intended. I'm I'm not sure thinking about it now, but it's kind of interesting how you can interpret things. Mm-hmm. And you know, as both of us being authors, you know, what you intend is not what the audience is going to get necessarily. And every every punny everyone who is exposed to it might have a different reaction. Yep. You know, coming from from whatever their life experience was which you have no idea about. And now here's our second fan for the show, Diego Ortega. I think with the power of this song is that it can become very um, dear to one's heart. It's not even one of my favorite Kate Bush songs, but I mean, I always play it and I, I always leave it on if it comes on. It's just, I really think it's her most pop friendly song. It's definitely one of the popular ones. And I can see why it was released as a single for um, for the UK charts and also in America. This actually charted. Yeah, yeah this actually charted on the um, modern rock charts. Yes, in um, 89, I believe. Mm-hmm. It actually did really well in the United States. Now, it didn't chart on the Billboard Hot 100, but eh, you know, whatever. I mean, she wasn't going to go and do the whole, like, schmooze with people to try and get to the top of the charts like everybody else probably wanted to do. This this is after. This is her main single after Hounds of Love, that album. And with Running Up That Hill, we see her chart for the first time in America, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually technically... Technically, in the U.S., she would be considered a one-hit wonder because... She only had one top 40 hit, which was running up that hill. Yeah. It's weird how we constitute um, one hit wonders in the United States. I've, um, I've heard Sinead O'Connor call, been called a one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, and very much not true. Well, I constitute the concept of one hit wonder by being defined by um, outstanding song, not like charting and whatnot. I can see why Kate Bush is not considered a multi-hit wonder um, in American standards, but it's it's very not true. What success to one person could be completely different to somebody else. Yeah. Like somebody who could have a huge, um, somebody could have a huge fan base and they never get to number one or whatever, but, you know, for them it's, all about connecting with people instead of just yeah. hitting the top of the charts all the time. And then there are the people out there who really do want, they are chasing those big hits, but and I don't think Kate Bush ever was. I don't, she never was. I mean, she did, Kate did the whole celebrity thing in the first few years of her career. And, you know, frankly, I'm not surprised that Kate stepped away from it and went, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to go and do off and do my thing. I'm going to go off and yeah. like, just concentrate on the music part because that's why I got into it. This isn't such an interesting song for me to talk about because it is a song that has really grown with me. And that's actually something I can say about a lot of the songs on The Sensual World because The Sensual World 
when I started getting into Kate Bush, I had heard various songs of hers from flashback alternatives. I knew about Wuthering Heights because that's how I first found her back on Napster all those ages ago. It's been over 20 years. Oh, God, I'm old. Um, And then this one was one of the songs that did get played on flashback alternatives, um, which I talk about a lot because they kind of exposed me to all the underground stuff that you would never usually hear. And I do remember Love and Anger being played on Flashback Alternatives a lot. And at that point, I was still in my, well, I'm not quite sure how I feel about her face. And so I would kind of turn down the music a little. And then over time, as I started to get into more of Kate's music, I started discovering her other albums that people were not really talking a whole lot about. And one of them being The Sensual World, because I think the narrative tends to go that oh, she came out with Hounds of Love, she peaked with it, and then everything else afterwards is not as good. And yet I I don't think that's the way it is at all for the sensual world. For me, the sensual world, it, it did have to grow on me, but that's because I had to grow as a person in order to understand these songs. And that's what I had to do with Love and Anger. Because Love and Anger, I there's a, like we'll, we'll get into like what Kate has said about the song that she's like I'm not sure what this was even about and oh yes this bloody song kind of thing but to me it's actually pretty clear what it's about and it's a sentiment that I can relate to so much and now here is a clip of a cover version of Love and Anger done by the artist Bright Light Bright Light it's linked in the show notes you can find it on YouTube here's his version of Love and Anger it lay buried It lay deep inside me It's so deep I don't think that I can speak about it It could take me all my life Or it could only take a moment to Tell you what I'm feeling But I don't know if I'm ready yet Walking into this room Like you're walking into my arms What would I do without you? Take away the love and the anger And a little piece of hope holding us together Looking for a moment that'll never happen Living in the gap between past and future Take away the stone and the timber And a little piece of rope won't hold it together So, yeah, the, this song, she's uh, actually talked a lot about um, this particular one, which, um, let's see, so the story behind the song, the, uh, the story, of course, the song was written by Kate, uh, released on The Central World, and apparently it was one of the first tracks written for the album and came together in a period of two years, during which Kate herself had trouble understanding what the song was trying to say. Uh, As you were talking about, uh, there is a guitar solo from none other than David Gilmore right at the end. And, of course, you see him in the video, you know, kind of tearing it up there. And, yeah, she... I, I love this one. This is probably my favorite quote about this song, is this song... Of course, the, the way... I, I, I feel like I should say this in a British accent, and I'm, but I'm not going to because... I'm not British. I feel like, I can't do it. This song, this bloody song, 
It's the buddy. Ah. It doesn't sound right in my American accent. It was one of the most difficult songs to put together, yet the first to be written. I came back to it 18 months later and pieced it together. It doesn't really have a story. It's just me trying to write a song. Ha ha. Obviously, the imagery you get as a child is very strong. This is about who you can or cannot confide in when there's something you can't talk about. If you can't tell your sister, if you can't tell a priest. Who did I have in the lyrics? Was it sister or mother? I can't remember. That was from an interview she did, Len Brown, in the Realm of the Senses, NME, on October 7th, 1989. I love that, that she, you know, and also just that it took so long to create, you know, you think about a movie taking months or years to be made, or you know, a whole album, but to think one song that it took her two years to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And maybe she never did. To, to I mean, judge by. Because I mean, this song was never redone for director's cuts. I would have loved to have kind of seen, like, if she could have reworked this for director's cut. That would have been really cool. Oh, absolutely. Because it's just, it's got this, like, nice energy to it and just, ah. Uh. Yeah, in. I'm uh it also goes to show you with a quote like that that when it comes to songwriting like it's different if you're a li- if you're not just a listener but you also create music there where you can understand that things don't just happen out of the blue and it's immediately perfect and this this quote shows that no there's actually work that goes into it it's just that well if you're just the listener you're not you don't know that process. You, you just know, okay, you just know the end product. You know what I mean? You know, one thing I've kind of, you think about in how each different art form goes, tr- hits different things in the audience. And, you know, you think where film is a visual medium and you think like, I'm a big opera fan and that's all emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting with, see, this should be a video podcast because you get these, I know, I Excellent wish this were, because you get, ah! <laughs> But, you know, Kate's interesting because you have both the very kind of literary and intelligent lyrics, but also the feeling. And this song is everything more feeling. Yes, definitely. I would say. Because to me, the song is about a couple who are having trouble communicating. I mean, communication is such a big thing with Kate, and you'll see it on this album with mm-hmm. deeper understanding and all that. And, and um, between a man and a woman. Yes. And, uh, oh, yeah. Walk straight down the middle. Mm-hmm. So you just like um, you get this lot, this song yeah. like she she has. A, I mean, even running up that hills about like oh trying to understand someone else and being able to communicate with each other while one of you is speaking in Gaelic and the other is speaking in I don't know uh, Lingala or something like that. Like you're just completely different yeah. languages. And so for me, this song, it's very clear to me, at least what it's about. And what it means to me is that it's two people who are trying to communicate with each other and trying to build that foundation of their relationship, um, building it on like sharing with each other. And I got this, this song has one of my absolute favorite, favorite Kate Bush lyrics. And it's, um, can you find it in your heart? To let go yes. of these feelings like a bell to a southerly wind, we could be like two strings beating and speaking in sympathy. Mm-hmm. 
is that, hey, tell me what's going on. And maybe, you know, maybe I can relate to what you're going through and I can help you. And then the rest of the song just feels like it's a big cheer up, like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to be here for you. Everything's going to be okay. And, and when we get to talking about the video, you can see that in the video, especially at the end when it kind of explodes and she, she throws away the, the scepters or whatever she's holding and just like starts dancing. Mm -hmm. It's just, oh my gosh. I, this is my second favorite Kate Bush song. Uh, this is my second. Is second? My second absolute favorite Kate Bush song. And if um, I forgot what what is your first? Also, like this song um, has a great music video. But, yes! Oh, uh, I love the video. Uh, um, but the power of this song is that. The lyrics are so, um, they're, they're kind of stream of consciousness in a way. Mm -hmm. um, you were noting that even Kate doesn't really know um, what these lyrics really mean. And I think that, I mean, they're very um, organic and they're v very uh, <laughs> powerful Yeah. by, by, um, by those means. Um, the, the, the stanza that you brought up is just, I was going to bring it up. It's one of my favorite lyrics in her catalog and in the song. The song as a whole is so strong lyrically. I'm I'm looking at the lyrics now and it's just like she, it's just, you can see the power in composition. And um, I think it just speaks so much to her, not just, her power when it comes to um, crafting hooks and crafting narratives, fictional narratives, but mm -hmm. it shows her power in just um, pure composition because everything makes sense and everything um, is just so, so strong. Um, how she just, the word choices and how she pairs words, it's just, it's magical. It is. And I feel like every line, like, can carry so much weight and I think that's another thing I like about the song right. it is deep and yeah it's yeah. it's it's something that you can listen to and you're like oh yeah this is kind of catchy da, 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 da. but then if you really just dig into it like especially the first line you know the first line it lay buried here it lay deep inside me it lay like okay yeah this is like somebody who's having trouble like expressing themselves and maybe just maybe there's they're maybe they're holding a secret or several secrets we don't know i mean ah. can you ever really know somebody you know like everybody has deep and dark secrets that they're afraid to share with people that maybe you know kind of hold them back from being who they really are um whether it's in a and i would just say in a relationship in general because you can get that in friendships too yeah it's it's um i think this song really works because you can feel that the words are charged with emotional weight you can feel how heavy um like the situation is by um way of the lyrics mm -hmm. um talk of stones and rope and string and it's just it, those those um, sensory words really give the 
um, the, the song, this notion of physical and emotional weight, lightness and heaviness. Oh my God. I never thought of that. You're right. I love that. I I think it just makes as much as the song works as a pop song. And I'm, um, as I was talking about this with someone earlier this week, a lot of people um, um, give the realm of pop music a lot of unnecessary flack, um, as it can be seen as genre and all its complexity can be seen as very insincere. And yeah. this is a case of good pop music at its most sincere mm-hmm. because sonically it's very upbeat. It's very hook laden and it's very memorable yet um it just shows the depth of not just the art pop but pop in general i've heard the song compared to um madonna before and i don't know if i quite see that but i see the sentiment in fact for me the feeling of this song is trying to cheer someone up honestly like i feel like um especially like the what would we do without you you know, someone will come to help you. It feels like the whole song, like a lot of the song is a big pep talk in a way. Yeah, I can see that. That totally makes sense. And especially bringing the chorus in. It is true that the, that the lyrics are a little bit more, they're, they're not clear cut as to what they're about, but but Kate has never really been about like, oh yes, this is clear. Some this is clear about such and such. Like you have to kind of dig into literature or the movie a little bit. Movies a little right. bit more to know that. Oh, okay. When she's saying you'll never make, he'll never make the Sweeney. Oh wait, she's talking about this detective show, or something like that. Or that oh, she's talking about the Bride of War Black. Um, the feeling for me on this song is is like you were saying it's definitely a relationship between people like there are a lot of songs about relationships i've noticed on this album whether it's between people or just people connecting with other things whether it be a computer like in deeper understanding or connecting with nature especially in reaching out you know see how the uh see how the flower leans instinctively toward the light like it's all about like different con- connections and allowing yourself to feel things, and I know for a long time for me on this song, I, I too wasn't quite sure what it was about, but I feel like it's, it's about a relationship where people yeah they're they're trying to like hold on to what they have, and I almost feel like the speaker is trying to get the other person to to tell them what's really going on and to get them to open up to her or him or you or whatever because like it's not clear the gender of who's doing the singing not not at all as is the case in a lot of kate songs it's just like no i'm just a human expressing this emotion it could be man woman whatever right I, i agree with that absolutely what did you think the first time you heard this song because i have a couple thoughts what was it like first time you heard the song? First time I heard it would have been got in college, and I think I mean it was a more surface level of just liking the music. I mean, as it had, you know, I know that's not very enlightening, <laughs> but no, you know, but... If you're 19 years old, and it's yeah. like that's 
you know, and I don't know. And I mean, I love music, but I can't discuss it in terms of like music theory or composition. And I know I've, I've heard some episodes where you kind of go into that and I can't, I can't say anything about that at all. Unfortunately, piano lessons when I was eight and I was, you know, a bad, a bad kid who didn't want to do the homework. And that was that. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, I guess I had the simplistic thought. It was that it was a couple trying to stay together. Like I said, I don't, I don't think that's any, I don't think that now, but that was my like first impression of it. But that kind of goes with relationships in all, almost every song on this album. I think you're right. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. And I remember the music because the first time I heard this song was on Flashback Alternatives. So this was before I was really a Kate fan. Uh, Flashback Alternatives, I think they're still around. Um, they play a lot of the more obscure 80s music, um, which is why I ended up hearing about like Necropolis of Love, uh, A Drop in the Gray, and a bunch of other groups that most people haven't even heard of because they only released like one EP or one LP and then just they just faded away but Kate would get a lot of airplay on flashback alternatives and I remember this song coming up a lot and I liked the energy of it I liked the energy of it and I too like I, I was in about college too when I first heard it so I was like 20 like almost 20 years old something like that and I, I too, like, oh, this is a couple just, like, trying to stay together. And now, of course, yeah, like you, I think very differently because I've had, I've had more relationships, you know, like, where, with, whether with men. And then when I started dating women, just between lots of different people and different dynamics and how people communicate with each other. And it all get, it gets very, very complicated the older you get. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love the energy. I love the energy of the song and the video. I thought too fit the energy of the song, where it's just like it's just kind of driving from the moment. There's like a little strum of a stringed instrument from a courtesy of Patty, and then you get the piano bum 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 bum, like the the the, hit, the, the piano. Like when you can hear it. I mean, the piano is there, but you can't quite hear it in a lot of the song and then it kind of like explodes comes like 80s gaelic rock or something but it's absolutely awesome and i love it <laughs> i've i think i've only heard one major cover of this song i wonder if it's the same one that i've heard who have you heard do this song because i've i know of a cover. Not yes that's the one i'm thinking of that was actually yeah. really good i was listening to the to it this morning and it is really good it's good because i think this song um just kate in general seems to be covered by um kind of lo-fi indie bands and mm -hmm. i think um that works to extent um we see that with suspended and gaffa being covered by Ra Ra riot and um of course hounds of love being um covered by the future head mm-hmm um it works it's a, it's a great cover um but i do i am really curious to, i'm curious why there haven't been other covers of the song because i feel like it's a it, there's a lot of room for interpretation and a lot of room for great inter like um sonically and 
um, performance-wise. not that hard of a song to play because um so i found the sheet music for this song hmm, i had sources and i found the sheet music uh, it was actually for the whole sensual world album and you have the uh the vocal lines and then um above them are like the fingerings for the different chords if you're trying to play it on guitar and the uh love and anger actually it really only goes back and forth between a couple of chords throughout the whole thing but you don't really notice it too much because the melody, even within the verses, even between verses, the melody changes a little bit. Like she adds a couple more lines. Like that verse that I really like uh, is like she has that, that same chord progression, but she's got a different, she's got more words over it. She's not keeping like, oh, well, I wrote however many lines in this first verse. I need to keep the exact same lines in the next verse to keep it equal. Like she, she doesn't do that. Yeah. Which is usually um, a thing that she doesn't do anyway in her songs. Um, and I know this from like taking songwriting classes and being in songwriting groups. And I would try to do the same sort of thing with some of my songs. And I would get flack from the other people. They're like, oh, well, if you wrote six lines in verse one, then verse two needs to also have six lines. And you need to have the same exact yeah. word progression. I'm just like, well... But wait, but Kate doesn't do that. I want to be Kate. I want to do that. Like, that's more interesting. She's never really um, done that. And mm -mm. that's why, that's why um, the narrative, that's why I think she can really convey um, the use of fictional narratives as um, in a lot of her songs because her, her songs feel like experiences. They feel very organic and... Mm -hmm. um, free and that makes i mean it makes the the songs live and breathe and it makes everything um convincing not um yeah i'm trying to yeah her songs are never really an um traditional um writing format mm -mm. just like fans of life it's to me what it feels like and i know she's talked about this in interviews that uh, when she was first starting to write songs, even going way back to when she was a teenager and writing stuff like Surrender Into the Roses or my absolute favorite, Frightened Eyes. Oh, my God, I love this. Oh, the feels on that one. That, like, her, um, 
like she it seemed like she she was she would come up with the music first and that she found it harder to come up with the words because she had the music first but it was hard for her to find the words and so she would go flip through books and like pick out like stand like sentences and things to put in with these words and that's how I feel like she does on this song and actually quite a bit of her music I feel like probably for her because I mean we're never privy to this of course it would be really cool to be in the same room as she's coming up with a song but of course we're never gonna see that with Kate but I get the impression especially like starting with the dreaming that even more that like she starts with maybe she's like playing on the piano and then somebody else comes in and plays the drums and she just writes over that which is a good way of writing a song I mean it means that You've got a constant beat going. You're not like going to the piano and then adding in the stuff later when it can be a little bit harder to do. Like it's hard. I know from personal experience with writing songs that if you if you start off girl and piano and then you go and add drums and stuff to it, it's going to sound probably sound a little awkward in parts. Um, And I feel like probably part of what you were talking about with this like being very like upbeat and everything that and actually there's a quote where um, she talks about. Um, how she started playing it, uh, she started playing on the piano and then, okay, yeah, here it was, uh, the song started with a piano and Del put a straight rhythm down. Then we got the drummer and it's, and it stayed like that for at least a year and a half. So yeah, she just probably was like banging on the piano and then, and then Dale came in and just adding on little stuff and then just kind of revisiting it. I think, um, yeah, the, the um, method of basing the song lyrically around um, just noises or um, or um, mu- um, the song in its early states um, is something really big in alternative music at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like around that earlier in the 80s, we see uh, musicians like David Byrne doing something similar to that. Um, Speaking in tongues was um, like the lyrics are based off of like gibberish that he would record (laughs) himself doing it, I I believe. Um, Hence the name, but there's um, like he was trying to achieve um, exploration in music, like how music works that way. Um, But it also sounds even further to... um, how Brian Eno would um, write songs. He would he would um, both like um, tap his subconscious and and try to um, have like the stream consciousness consciousness. Um, hence, weird lyrics. Um, but also, uh, he created a um, a very um, oh god ob- oblique strategies. This is his card game made in like 1975 of like um each card had tips or um th- um just things to keep in mind while writing um songs and um i can see a correlation to kate not in method but knowing that she was really um heavily influenced by Brandino and roxy music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they're very atmospheric and that's yeah and like kate just part of this part of why why i love her and it's part of why 
every all of you guys love her is that she just she like she creates this world and just like brings you right into it and you're just like oh my god I, Ooh. I i kind of mentioned this earlier i um she's really important in terms of contemporary lyrics because most of her catalog um revolves around these these narratives and these cinematic narratives that she can create very very well and um as i think we've talked about this before it's kind of hard to see the songs as actually about herself mm-hmm. um, i think i think kate bush shows how to write very emphatically and write i mean write about other people Mm-hmm. And I think that the times that she does get personal, which will be, that happens mostly on the red shoes. I mean, especially when you get some uh, moments of pleasure I'm and all that. Um, and I feel like if, I mean, and what I've kind of gotten the impression of, especially digging into her songs for this show and talking with people, that if Kate puts, to me at least, if Kate puts any of her own personal things into the song it's projected through a character it's never like the the eye in the song is almost never going to be her she's never going to be standing up stage and going out as her she's going to be somebody else yeah and yeah i kind of wonder and, and this feels like like probably one of like one of those oh, I have this kind of idea or something and I'm projecting it through a character. But I do have to wonder, though, if maybe some of the emotion that she's putting into, that she put into Love and Anger, maybe she was going through similar things with Del, who was her partner at the time. Yeah. Um, this is something I've thought about in terms of this song and especially um, in terms of running up that hill. Mm-hmm. I know, um, I mean, The Rise Shoes is overtly about, I mean, overtly in the extent of it can be, it can be more obvious than other albums, but it's about her personal experience to an extent. Um, I feel I've, I've thought it's it's hard to see any truth, well, any like purposeful self insertion in this song, but um, I really do think that um, it can be um, analyzed with the context of her and Del Palmer, as well as running up that hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, it might have been something that they were kind of trying to work through or maybe not yeah, I mean, the, oh sorry go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say i this album is such a great precursor to um to the red shoes as an album um and i know i know a lot of kate bush fans kind um don't hold that album up as a favorite it feels like but i mean lyrically i see parallels in the song and in the trajectory she's going for the red shoes and i i mean the red shoes lyrically is amazing 
Although you were saying that you were surprised that people don't cover this song a whole lot. Honestly, I think it might, I think it's because it was released as a single, but it only reached, it barely scraped into the top 40 in the UK. It actually reached number 38. Yeah. So it's kind of one of her, you know, lesser known songs. And so that's probably why a lot of people don't tend to cover this song. But I agree with you. There's so much in here that you can really change and make into your own. And it, it'll still sound very much like her. Um, I can, every time, if somebody ever covers any of her songs, I can, it's not just because I'm so intimately familiar with the songs, but I can tell that, yeah, that sounds like something Kate would say. <laughs> or that's not like the way that melody is going. Oh yeah, that is so Kate. Oh yeah. You got a girl. Yeah. I mean, the idea of covering Kate Bush can be in in the head of Kate Bush fans can be grounds for something amazing or something not amazing. Mm-hmm. And we've talked um, about that before. I think when we were talking yeah. about Burning Bridge, that you know, could you you would you would say, could you imagine anybody covering the song? We were both like, ah, uh, yeah, no, not really, because it's so much about her and performance. I think we also it. talked about running up that hill. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Placebo. Yes. Um, your oh, your absolute favorite Kate Bush cover ever, if I remember. No. <laughs> uh, I of course, I I'm being sarcastic. No, I know. I. <laughs> oh, but I it's so your favorite. Oh my gosh, you spent like I had to cut out five hours of you extrapolating on how great it was. Do you like that cover? No. <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> It's from a cover album, I think, a placebo cover. It's, and I I don't want to talk about it. Anyway, back uh, to Love and Anger. Uh, Let's talk about Love and Anger. Taking away Love and Anger. We're taking away the anger we felt about that cover, cover, and we're talking about the love that we have for Love who, and Anger. Who could cover? I would love to see one of my absolute favorite ladies, because I have a lot of favorite other lady artists, of course, Kate being the number one. But I could see, like, Florence and the Machine doing this. Yeah. And we've talked about how people really, um, people um, see Florence and the Machine as very influenced by um, Kate Bush, but you disagreeing with that. And I I, I have to agree with your sentiment. Well... I think it, part of my aversion to that is just that that in the music industry, people always go, "Oh, they're always trying to put like You're they're always lady. trying to put like women against each other." Like they'll go, yeah. "Oh, this so and so sounds slightly high when she sings. Oh, she's an ex Kate Bush kind of thing." Yeah, and they're always doing that with women, and but. There is some of like like some of like the the I want to say like some of the nature imagery and the drum and like having driving drums, like yeah. If Florence um... is influenced by Kate Bush in any way, honestly, I feel like it's kind of more the Hounds of Love era, like with the big drums and everything. Because um, the song that came to mind was um, "Heavy in Your Arms" from um, Mm. Lunk. Um, and I, that 
allows me for her um allows me to picture her covering this song because this song opens with such a great drum beat. Mhm. The dun 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 dun. It's just uh it's it's it you know what song it is the moment you hear this. Mhm. And it's a short intro too. Like it's like the boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. And then you get the stringed instrument. Then, I'm assuming it's the uh, valiha that uh, Patty plays on the song. So it's a an African musical instrument, a stringed instrument. I looked at pictures. I'm like, ooh, that looks really cool. It's really so. Patty with his wonderful exotic instruments. And then yeah. there's a nice guitar solo in there from David Gilmore. Doing the guitar. favorite lyrics or like musical moments within the songs i've got um, a couple two strings speaking in sympathy actually is really good that i like let me, let me look there's one other uh i was like it, the image struck me a little piece of hope holding us together then a little piece of rope won't hold it together i love that kind of juxtaposition of that if if that's the right word yeah, because in the one line, you know, th- this is something that can keep us, and then the other, like, no, this is going to break us apart. And especially I, because hope is not something you can tangibly feel. You know, hope is, it's abstract, but rope is. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be my, my favorite lyric in, in there, I would say. moments because i've got a few i think like right right at the start right at the opening of the song i would say probably but also kind of the chorus coming in you know the what will we do without you with the chorus i I, li- I really like that i enjoy that especially when she just like 
dub, triple, quadruple, quintuple copies her voice on those lines. So it's like a whole chorus of Kate's right there. Actually, I didn't see. I feel like an idiot. I didn't realize that was all her. I should have. I, I did not realize that. Oh, that's honestly, that is half the fun of listening to Kate's music for me. And me being like music production nerd. I mean, I have my piano keyboard here. That, no, that's all her. It's multi, just lots of multi-track recording and making sure you're like dead on with your pitch and your intonation. Wow. I cannot mm -hmm. imagine the work and the tedious work involved in that. And I'm sure you would know that better. It's a lot of work. Now, it's a little bit easier for me because I work digitally. Whereas back in 1989, I imagine that her studio was, I don't think they'd quite, I don't think that recording studios had quite gotten over to digital recording yet. I believe that would come up on the Red Shoes. So they were probably using tape. And when you're recording on tape, tape is very expensive and you would actually have to like go in and physically cut the tape. I, yes, I remember that from the radio station. Mm -hmm. I oh. remember having to do that. So when did that you have to do that? We had to do part, one of our tests to get our license and our slot. You had to do a 60-second promo, and so you had to actually edit the... We had to like, you know, splice the tape with a razor blade, and that was hard. And the special little whatever kind of special scotch tape it was you used to to reconnect it. I, I'm not super nimble with my hands. That was that was not easy. We had the you know the big reel to reel tape machine and Yeah, I can't imagine doing like multi track. It was hard enough doing a sixty second ad for our station with Nothing in the way of complexity. Mm -hmm. And when you're recording and multi-tracking your voice like that, like you have to, you have to not just be like dead on with your pitch. Otherwise, like you'll be able to hear like, oh wait, there's something that sounds a little bit off. But also your intonation, making sure, making sure that each syllable falls in the right place. And doing that, like in, in, when I do that kind of stuff, it's in Logic Pro, so it's all digital, and I could just go in and like finely tune, like okay, this is the part where I was saying like. It is not right. me. <laughs> like I could just go in and mark which ones are which syllables are what, and then yes. like line everything up. But that's all digital. That's what I can do now. And yeah, I cannot right. imagine just the work that oh, went gosh. into doing that. And it was that's, all her. I I I am um, I, I I should have realized that, but I did not know it. That's one of one of my favorite parts of the song as well. When all those, you know, what would we do without you? When those parts come in, I also really like the opening lines as well. You know, it lay buried here, it lay deep inside me, which just like kind of the way that she sings it. It's like kind of quiet, you know. It it feels very quiet and tender, like like kind of somebody who's, you know, kind of scared to speak. And then when she gets to belting the it's so deep, I don't think that I can speak about it. It kind of gets a little bit louder, kind of like a little desperate. Like, uh, just the way she uses her voice on that, quietly. And then the next line is, like, a completely different. Like, she goes, like, 
fortissimo, and then she pulls back. It's just like constant, like the the pull and the push of it all, you know. And then yeah, the, like I said, the can you find it in your heart to let go of these feelings, like a bell to a southerly wind? We could be like two strings feeding, speaking in sympathy. Those are just oh, just it's such a beautiful image too. It makes me think of. You know, when I think of a bell to a southerly wind, I'm thinking of something like Gone with the Wind. If you're wearing this, this huge, these huge dresses and you're just kind of, you feel like you're just kind of floating on air as you're wearing them, even though, you know, you're wearing like 20 yards of fabric. <laughs> <laughs> all the crinoline and all the corset and everything else, but you're feeling light as a feather. <laughs> Somehow. You know, that is a great image, absolutely. Um, this is from uh, Tony Horkins, what Katie did next, international musician, December 1989. The song started with a piano, and Dell put a straight rhythm down. Then we got the drummer, and it stayed like that for at least a year and a half. Then I thought maybe it could be okay, so we got David Gilmore in. This is actually one of the more difficult songs. Everyone I asked to try and play something on this track had problems. It was one of those awful tracks where either everything would sound ordinary, really M.O.R., or people just couldn't come to terms with it. They'd asked me what it was about, but I didn't know because I hadn't written the lyrics. Dave was great. I think he gave me a bit of a foothold there, really. At least there was a guitar that made some sense. And John Giblin put the bass on. That was very important. He was one of the few people brave enough to say that he actually liked the song. Oh, girl, hey, we like the song. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting listening to that, just like you say, how much work, how complex it is and to put together, you know, a four minute song and to get it to where everything melds together to produce what you want it to. And, you know, I'm, that's like alien to me and like the, the imagination and the skills to think that way and to be able to know what's going to sound right and to put it all together that that just blows my mind that anyone can do that well it takes a lot of work it takes writing a lot of songs it takes just kind of getting in there and really doing it honestly i feel like that's any kind of creative thing i mean you and i i i, I write as well as do music and you're a writer you're like when we're at, when we're selling our hawking our wares at places like uh, uh, AwesomeCon when there is no pandemic going on, of course, and people are allowed to be more less than six feet away from each other, then uh, what what they're seeing is the end results. They're saying, right. "Oh, wait, hey, you actually wrote a book." They're not seeing that. Oh, well, actually, this is like I've had to re-edit this like two or three times. No, exactly. I mean, I just, just music just really to think, you know, not just the lyrics and not just the melody, but that this instrument at this point, but only until here and then this other instrument. And because that's going to create this feeling and that's going to complement that. And that is just amazing to me. I mean, I can hum a tune. Not even really, but <laughs> but the, all the rest of it is just must be like Martian to me how how that's done. I mean, a huge amount of hard work, but also like a different way of thinking than 
than other creative pursuits. Like, to me, I mean, I'm like really always impressed by that. Well, it does feel like magic sometimes when you kind of when for me like I kind of feel a song finally coming together, and I've had my own love and anger that have taken years, and sometimes I have to just put the thing away and then I come back, let it marinate for a while, and sometimes I come back to it, and sometimes I come back to it and go, yeah, there's a reason that I can't hum this melody right off the top of my head. Yeah, and you just kind of put it away for a while. Well, absolutely, and I think with any creative outlet, I think that's something you have to do sometimes. And now for another cover version of Love and Anger. This one is very different from the previous two that you have heard. This one is courtesy of Theo Blackman, who is an artist whose cover versions of Kate's songs have appeared on a couple of my episodes. I have generally find these cover versions on YouTube, and this one was no exception. This one is from his 2011 album, Hello Earth, the music of Kate Bush. And he has a very different and very jazzy take on Love and Anger. Take a listen. It lay buried here. It lay deep inside me. It's so deep I don't think that I can speak about it. It could take me all my life, but it would only take a moment to tell you what I'm feeling But I don't know if I'm ready yet You come walking into this room Like you're walking into my arms And what would I do without you? Take away the love and the anger and a little piece of hope holding us together Looking for a moment that'll never happen Living in the gap between past and future Take away the stone and the timber And a little piece of rope won't hold it together Actually, admit I've not seen the video for this. Okay, so the video, well, the video was made fun of on Beavis and Butthead. And even though, yes, I'm a huge Kate fan, but I think it's funny. And <laughs> when the guys are watching it, they, they're commenting on the glitter on her hair, and they go, ah, this chick should stop whining. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can picture that. That's... Or the part where she's going, mm-hmm. Yeah, they go. Ah, this chick isn't humming right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that that sounds like Beavis and Butthead. That's true. 
<laughs> it's it's funny. I like it. And hey, it gave Kate Bush some exposure to MTV people in the early 90s. So there you go. Huh? Any publicity is good publicity. Indeed. Oh no, what is this crap? Yeah, yeah. Why is she sitting there? Yeah. <laughs> get up. Yeah, really, yeah. Just, just like, stand up and just get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> I wish she would stand up and leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like, I wish the music would stop too. Yeah, just because we have to sit through this crap doesn't mean she can too. Hey, look, buddy, they're throwing a bunch of crap on her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she still won't get up. <laughs> Maybe she's inside one of those things, you know, like with the snowman where you like shake it up and you know, all that stuff comes down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like to break those. Yeah, 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 me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I like to break just about anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look that up. Maybe, maybe like the music videos for Ariel and 50 Words for Snow. Oh, uh, let's see. But this music video is great. Let's see. Kate has directed the following. She has directed the director's cut version of Deeper Understanding, Rubber Band Girl, Moments of Pleasure, Love and Anger, The Big Sky Experiment 4, Hounds of Love, and that's it. I think this is one of her um, best music videos that she's, and she's mm-hmm. directed so many great music videos. I mean, her most iconic ones are ones she directed, but I think this is really stand out because it I mean it's really it's it's it balances the sense of being stripped back and the sense of extravagance to extent I think it's just 
it's uh, it's um i mean it's so beautiful i mean it's a beautiful music video and i was wondering so one of the things so i have to say though but speaking of the music video um I cannot find there it's not on YouTube anymore unfortunately but Kate actually with this music video made an appearance on Beavis and Butthead. Yes, I've seen that before. <laughs> so there's how oh, the twirling fart knockers and when the, the lit guys are spinning around her. like yeah. I can see where some I I can see where some people would be like ah they're making fun of it ah but I think it's funny. I just I know you wouldn't think from like looking at me that I would be into that kind of humor, but I actually am. And I think it's hilarious. <laughs> We're like, no, this chick's not humming right <laughs> when she gets to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, that is, I've seen it before. I've seen that. I've seen, um, the one where they're watching the video for human behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're also un unrelentless um, towards the direction of that. Um, there's another video. There's another funny video on YouTube. I almost, I forgot to email it to you, but it's called Sufjan Stevens Startled by Kate Bush by um, Chris Fleming. And it's just, it's like a minute and 15 seconds. And it's just this guy impersonating Sufjan Stevens being startled by um, the scene of the music video where she just throws the glitter. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> I need to look that up. I will look at, link that in the show notes. And and he calls it party debris. <laughs> and <laughs> well, it, it definitely yeah it leaves a lot of debris, and it's very hard to clean up. I do like I like it when it's falling, but then you falls to the floor and you realize, oh shit, I have to clean that up. It's hard to pick up. It's ah! hard, it's, yeah. <laughs> but I do like that part of the, I do really like that part where they're throwing the glitter and the, the part at the end where she throw, where she like casts aside the, I want to say it's a scepter yeah. that she's holding. I've always kind of wondered about I the symbolism say scepter of that. And not, I, there's a word for the orb. Like the, it's not the crown jewel, but there is a, there is a term for that. I always wondered about the symbolism of those. Like, and she hasn't yeah. really like talked about the, she hasn't really talked about the video very much. In fact, it's not really a song that she talk, talks about a lot, except to say, oh yeah, that bloody thing. Ah, it was hard for me to write. Does, um, she, does she not like the song, do you think? Well, actually, this is what she said about the song. Well, Love and Anger, of all the songs on the album, is really the one I know the least about. I don't really know what it's about. It's had so many different faces, but it was one of the first songs to be written, but one of the last songs to be finished. And I think all the songs on this album are about relationships. And then, so that was from a VH1 interview, and then in uh, uh, NME, she says, This song, this bloody song. It was one of the most difficult to put together, yet the first to be written. I came back to it 18 months later and pieced it together. It doesn't really have a story. It's just me trying to write a song. 
But then she goes to say, obviously the imagery you get as a child is very strong. This is about who you can or cannot confide in when there's something you can't talk about. Quote, if you can't tell your sister, if you can't tell a priest, dot, 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 dot. Who do I have in the lyrics? Was it sister or mother? I can't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, and, and it's one of the most difficult. This was an interview in from Boston. She says, it's one of the most difficult songs I think I've ever written. It was so elusive, and even today I don't like to talk about it because I never really felt like it let me know what it's about. It's just kind of a song that pulled itself together and with a tremendous amount of encouragement from people around me. There were so many times I thought it would never get on the album, but I'm really pleased it did now. So it seems like Kate is happy it's there, but she remembers the journey and she's like, eh, about it, <laughs> which is too bad because I, I think, just, I love this song. I think, I mean, it, that makes the whole story very interesting because as an artist, um, what, uh, you're constantly like, having to deal with your medium in a way that it can feel like it can feel frustrating because you don't know how to conduct it. You don't know. And it can feel like the, um, the piece has a mind of its own. And you, as an artist, you mm-hmm. kind of have to seduce the medium and let it um, become organic. And a lot of people don't, um, talk about that while talking about the artistic process. Yeah, um, I can totally see this as something that was that kind of needed to take its own course. That Kate mm-hmm. had to allow it to um, branch out and like crystallize on its own. Mm-hmm. And you know, you and as an artist myself, I totally get that. Like when I was, re- yeah. when I remember reading about these quotes back when I was first starting to get into Kate's music and I was like yeah I totally get that because sometimes you do have to just let things marinate like I, yeah. I myself I'll write a song and sometimes I'll go oh my god I absolutely love this it's the best thing I've written and then I'll come back to a month later and I go the and hell was I thinking <laughs> I I um, experienced that a lot um, and I think it's I mean, there are some Kate Bush songs that you can picture being written very, like, easily. And same thing with um, them being made. Um, However, there's other songs like, how did this come together? And in this case, it's really hard to see it being made Mm -hmm. other than seeing it um, just just coming out of the ether. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really hard for me to picture Kate Bush recording music. It's always been hard for me to internally picture that because it really feels like more of a elemental force than her actually walking into the studio and um, recording her uh, vocal tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, I do too, especially because so much of how Kate... In, in, in Kate's visuals, she's such a performer. And there are quotes where, where people who have worked with her where they're like, yeah, she's like, she gets in there and it's just on and she's just on and performing it. And I too have 
if if I if I picture Kate going out to the barn and recording any vocals, I pick and I picture her like really like acting out the song. Like she's not just standing there with like okay arms at her side or whatever. It's like she's she's like up on the microphone or she's like doing things with her arms. You can't see what I'm doing. I'm doing all sorts of like big things with my arms here as I'm talking. Like she's just yeah. really like acting it out. She's like this song is coming through her and she's channeling it and throwing yeah, it out of the microphone, you know? Yeah, when you're acting, when you're trying to convince someone, it's really, it feels better. It feels like it's really real when you let the narrative take your energy over and instead of, like, conveying it with the knowledge that you're conveying it, just letting it happen. Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot. In her, I see that, I mean, as a cornerstone at, to her musical practice. Um, and I think it plays to this song because, I mean, the song just feels so organic. And mm-hmm. so, um, I mean, of course it's real, but it feels more than a um, composed song. It just it feels like this sports. Um, and it is and... intense. I mean, I mean, part of part of why this is my second favorite Kate Bush song is just is that for me, I get very much swept up in the emotion of the song, not just because. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it is that yes, I can relate to this because um, your Kate is saying your yeah, she doesn't want it, but. I know what it means to me and what it's about to me and like that like fear of like letting letting someone into how you really feel and as you're you're trying to build this relation you're trying to build a relationship with someone and yet you can't share who you who you really are you can't share your deep dark secrets and that's something that I've really begun to relate to so much uh, as I've grown up and also as I've even kind of come to terms with my own sexuality and everything like you know it lay buried here it lay deep inside me sometimes that that was how I feel how I felt for a long time before even telling people about my true sexuality and so there's just there's it, it it sweeps me up and I'm like I feel like it and then at the end when it feels like a it honestly feels like a big pep talk. It really does. Yeah. And it's like just you're just reminding I, this other person that, you know, you're you're here for you're here for them and and also I think what too, I think that within Love and Anger that um their act that she's actually switching like different viewpoints. It feels like in the first verse it's the like the person who's like oh i don't know they're all scared and then the second verse if you can't tell if you can't tell your sister if you can't tell a priest feels like it's the other person like trying to talk to them like hey you know can you you, can you like just try to find it in yourself to tell me what's really going on and maybe i can relate to you in some way and we'd be two strings speaking in sympathy just oh just that just hits me right there because it's like it is it's such a strong image but and it's it's a sentiment that like a lot of this song i can relate to so much 
where I'm like, I hey, feel- you know, just 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 tell me what's going on, and you know, maybe I can help you a little bit. Really profound. Um, I think it its power does come from how it me it goes on to mean to the people who listen to it. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's something that is activated by um, outside personal experience from from the viewer from the participant. Um, um, sure. I it's just it makes the song just so important. And wow. Um, and also yeah, there's I there's also like, that. you know, this this theme of I think in this time period, Kate, especially on this album, um, where she says a lot of the songs are about relationships and in this in Love and Anger. And I also see this in Be Kind to My Mistakes, that there's this fear of vulnerability. And it's yeah. because and that's not something that is talked about in a lot of songs. Um, people and don't, I, you know, dig into like that. Yeah, it can it can feel really fucking hard to let somebody see who you really are and to let them in to your your darker side, I guess. And people don't talk about if if they if there is any kind of vulnerability in songs, it seems to be more negative. It's like, oh, well, you hurt me, and now I'm I'm going to be emo. But Kate doesn't do that. It, it, it is very, like... I like, think that even in terms of her music, songs like this and songs like Be Kind to My Mistakes and Constellation in the Heart talk about fear of vulnerability, while in other songs, I mean, the concept of vulnerability is championed through a lot of her music, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really feel like the fear of it is as much. It feels like listening to K-Push allows for people to learn how to be and how um, the importance of being vulnerable. And um, I feel like only a few songs um, show narratives where uh, just the the fear, overt fear mm-hmm. of vulnerability. Because it just feels so, or it just feels um, like, I don't know. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I do, and I can't quite put words to it. I can't think of it words. I don't know. I, but I know what you mean. It it just feels like Kate Bush has known the importance of being vulnerable for, I mean, her career. Um, and it just feels like she talks about it through a lot of her music, but not the, um, import, like the reality of being afraid of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just something in general that a lot of songwriters just don't talk about it no, at all. No, yeah. And who knows why? Maybe it's who. And I mean, the kid. <laughs> I mean, I can maybe some of it is 
maybe some of it goes to some of the songwriting classes I've done where they would tell us, you know, make sure that whoever is singing the song that you're showing them in a positive light, that it's somebody that the other, that the listener will want to be. And maybe part of why people don't tend to write about being vulnerable and, and being afraid of it is because maybe it's not completely positive or they don't think that it would work or who knows. But it is something I wish more people did discuss in song. And now for our final cover version of Love and Anger. This one is courtesy of YouTube again by Nymphia. Nymphia is a folktronica, trip hop, baroque art pop artist who has a version of Love and Anger from her second album, Naked Kate, an all-acoustic anthology of Kate Bush songs. Here is Nymphia's take on Love and Anger. Link to it in the show notes. Take away the love and the anger And a little piece of hope holding us together Looking for a moment that'll never happen Living in the gap between past and future Take away the stone and the timber And a little piece of rope won't hold it together If you can't tell your sister if you can't tell a priest Cause it's so deep you don't think That you can speak about it to anyone And you tell it to your heart Can you find it in your heart To let go of these feelings Like a bell to a southerly anything else we want to add about love and anger anything else you'd like to say about the song i, th I think we covered it i think so oh thank you so much for being on this week's episode of strange phenomena james it was so great to have a first timer on the show my god it was great to be with you i'm, I'm just so grateful thank you so much of course now, you're a writer, so where can people find you? Where can people go, hey, I really like what James had to say about Love and Anger. Yo, where's his stuff? Where can I buy his stuff? You can go, you can look for my name on Amazon, JJ Benedetto, or my website, JJDBenedetto.com. Awesome, awesome. Go check out his stuff. He's got some good stuff. Support, support, support your authors. for this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. We finished track two of The Central World, and next week we're going to be going through a very foggy world with The Fog, track number three from The Central World. If you enjoy the show, you can support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. You can always call this number. This is the hotline, and your message could be played on a future show. One seven five seven three four nine six three six nine. That's one seven five seven three four nine six three six nine. 
can always leave a message and your message may be played on a future show. You can also like me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at strange Kate cast. And you can also email me kbcast at linkmedia.com and find me on the web kbcast.linkmedia.com. Also, another thing, if you like the show, you know, feel free to uh, add a review, maybe a five-star rating, hopefully five-star rating. I mean, if you've listened this far, you obviously like the show, right? I hope so. Woo! I like the show. I like doing it. And I'm glad you do. I hope you do, too. So join us next week for a discussion of The Fog and taking us out this week. Okay, maybe it's one more cover version, technically. But this was actually a karaoke version of Love and Anger that I found on YouTube because there is no official instrumental for the song as there really aren't for a lot of Kate songs. So I thought we would take it take us out with this this week. Join us next week for The Fog. See everybody then. 